We're going to be in Psalm 23 this morning, and we are entering into the final week of our month-long prayer emphasis called 30 Days of Prayer, and we've been walking through the 23rd Psalm uh, really slowly. Some might think painfully slowly. Uh, has everybody been, everybody been tracking along okay? Everybody's hanging in there? Um, I will say this, that the, the last two verses of the psalm tend to feel really disconnected from the, the first few. You know, it feels like it's, it's uh, very like sheep shepherd driven and then it kind of sh- like shifts gears a little bit. But there's actually probably more of a tie than we might realize. So I think the last week is, is, will be really interesting. Um, in the last couple of weeks, as on Sundays, I've been trying to pull kind of the major themes from the previous week and kind of like sum those up. And today, with it being the birthday and everything, uh, I kind of want to do that, but really I just want us to, um, to do like two things at once. I want us to honor the fact that, uh, like, that we have made it two years as a church plant and way before that in terms of the other two churches, which I'll get to in just a minute. But also, like, we're here to really celebrate the faithfulness of God, you know, that we're not here to exalt the wrong thing. And uh, someone very wise once uh, once told me, he said, you know, the a vine, a vine grows up a trellis. And um, he said the but you're, you're mistaken if you focus on the trellis more than you focus on the vine. So the, the, the vine needs the trellis, but the emphasis is not, is not the, the trellis. It's not the structure. The, the beauty is in the life of the vine. Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. And so the focus is on Christ and his life among us. And it's, the vine works its way through the structure known as, known as the church, but we're not here to focus on the structure of the church. Not to exalt the, the church, we're here to exalt the vine and the vine dresser. And that we as branches get to be a part of what he is doing is a, just a tremendous honor. Um, and so let's, we're not going to do the entire psalm because I don't want to give away what's coming up in a few days. But uh, I want to look at the psalm and then I want to apply it in two contexts. Um, so it starts, starts off verse one, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil for you're with me. You're right on your staff that comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So certainly the first four verses, it's, it's David who grew up as a shepherd is, is making these connections between God's care for him and the way that he cares for his herd, his flock, of sheep. And so, uh, him being a poet, he's writing all these things down, making all these comparisons and starts off in verse one, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. There's this seems to be this realization that, that because of who my shepherd is, my life does not lack anything. 
He's not trying to talk himself out of wanting. He's saying, no, I, I realize that because God is the one shepherding me, I have everything that I need, everything that I will ever need. Everything I need for life and godliness is found in him. And so it's like this, this kind of this, this boasting, but not in and of himself. He's just realizing that, that uh, the significance of who, who it is that stands watch over his life. He goes on, verse 2, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Um, talked about how, how sheep, and this is something I learned in a, a book that I, I read, and some of you have read it too, where uh, a guy that grew up as a shepherd and became a pastor, he was given all this insight based on his experience in working with sheep, and he said that sheep won't, they're not, they, won't that just, uh, they won't just settle down and rest if they're nervous about something, if they're anxious, if they're fearful, they're real skittish, and so they'll just stand there and 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 you know shake sometimes, and they'll just but, they, but like they won't they won't lie down if they're afraid of something like a predator or if they're infested with fleas or something like that. They just they're they're real picky, and so shepherds would go through and they would take care try to take care of everything and give give the flock every reason to just lie down. So he makes me lie down. No, it doesn't mean that he forces me to lie down. It means that he, he eliminates all of the, of the things that I am worried about and fearful of. If I'll just pay attention, I'll realize, oh, he's given me every reason to just lie down and to rest and to go to bed at night and know that he's, gonna, he's taking care of everything, you know. So he makes me lie down. He uh, and and in those in the lying down, it's not he doesn't make me lie down on the top of a rock. It's no, it's they're these green plush pastures. He leads me by by these quiet waters, not not still, not like stagnant pools of water, quiet like clean streams that are running. In other words, God is leading him to the to the very best. God knows where the green grass is. Because that's the kind of shepherd he is. God knows where the best, cleanest water is. Because that's, he's that kind of shepherd, and he's not going to let you settle to for for less than that in your life. He's not going to just sit back and let you eat dead grass or drink polluted water. He's going to speak up. He's going to say something about it. He says something about it through the scriptures. He says something about it through his spirit being active among us. He says something about it through the community that we walk in. But he's constantly speaking up and saying, that is bad for you. I'm not leading you to dead grass and polluted water. I'm leading you to green pastures and quiet waters because that is what's good for you. David is realizing this, this kind of care. So God's really taking care of, of everything. Then he says in verse 3, he restores my soul. The restoration of the soul, that's, uh, that's a two and a half year sermon series in and of itself. Uh, what does that mean? Well, again, in that book that I read, he talked about how you know, there's places in the, in the Psalms where David will he'll say, Why so downcast, O my soul? To be downcast, the sheep would sometimes, uh, at, at once they were they would lie down and they would sleep and they would go to get up. They sometimes had rolled over too much and they're they're kind of round and so they can't really like flip themselves up very easily. He says so it was very common for a sheep to be like stuck on its back with its legs up in the air, unable to like move or do anything about it, and they would just start screaming out for someone to come help them. Basically, you know, 
He says, so a good shepherd knows what that scream is and knows, you know, let me go find, find this sheep and they would, would set them right side up again. So instead of being downcast, they would set, they would restore them and set them right side up. If the shepherd wasn't paying attention, he could move, move the flock on, not hearing those screams and those calls. And that sheep is back there and it will, it will die. And David is realizing that God has heard my cries. He's heard the cries of Hosanna, you know. He's heard the cries of my soul that needs restoration. My soul that was stuck in a situation it could not change. And if you want to pretend for a second that your soul has, has legs, then it's all, all, your soul is on its back, legs in the air, screaming for help. And David is realizing that God has come to me and he has taken my soul that was up, upside down and broken and dead and he has set it right side up. He's given life to, to me. The immaterial part of me that will live forever has been restored. Then it says, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. He leads me down a path where he is showing me how to live the life I was created to live. Not the life that I was born into in the brokenness of our world. The life that, that when, when God set out to create man and made man and woman in his image and said, uh, live in the garden, uh, be fruitful and multiply, name the animals, rule the earth, um, that, that life that was intended... He's showing us how to live now that our souls have been restored. He's walking us down the path of righteousness, which means I'm teaching you how to live your life in a way that is consistent with the image of God that you are bearing. I'm teaching you to be who you, who you really are. Not who you come to think you are because of the world around you. From a like heavenly father perspective, let me, let me make you into who you were always meant to be down the path of righteousness for his name's sake, not for our own. And so this psalm at this point here is like, man, David is just so wrapped up in the goodness of God. In verse four, this is how we know that David was a real person. Is verse four. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, See, David, David knows the goodness of green pastures and quiet waters and the path of righteousness. And he knows the valley, the shadow of death as well. That life is not always going to be awesome and fun and worry-free and all that stuff. There are seasons, there are days, there are those kind of things. But the valley of the shadow of death is just a, a poetic way of saying... I, even though I walk through the worst things that life can bring me, I won't fear any evil. Why? For you are with me. That's what he's come to realize, is that as he's walking through the dark parts of life, um, that his shepherd has not abandoned him. His shepherd has not said, you go on, uh, you go on down that road in that valley right there. I'll be back here. I'll be all right. I'll be back here watching. He's like, no, you're, you're with me. Not far away from me. Not way up in heaven, you know. Not way up in heaven trying to keep the Middle East all peaceful and stuff. You are with me. 
That that omnipresence of God, that he is everywhere, 100% of him, everywhere all the time. That he's just as present in this room right now as he is in heaven. You know, we're not operating at like 84% capacity here. He's 100% present here just as he is in heaven. There's no, no difference there. And so as we walk through dark times... David saying, I'm not going to be afraid of, of what may be lurking because you're with me. And the same God who like, led me to the green pastures and the quiet waters and restored my soul and leads me down the path of righteousness is, going, is right here with me in my midst now as well. Like, there's no difference. You don't throw out the first three verses just because life gets hard. So as I walk through the, the worst things that life has to offer, I, I don't, I'm not afraid because you're with me. And he says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And you might, if you read the devotional this week, you know, it talked about the rod and the staff, how the rod was like a, it was like a club. It was like a two foot long, like piece of wood that uh, they would, shepherds would use to like smack a wolf over the head if they needed to. They, they would train with it as a trajectory, and so they would like, get really good at throwing it and hitting their targets. It was a, a source of pride for shepherds that they could use this club as a weapon to protect and to defend their flock. And so it's like he's saying, uh, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and you're with me, and I see what you're holding. I see the club. I've seen what you can do with that. I've watched you protect me and defend me. And that brings me comfort. I don't look over and be like, oh no, he didn't bring the club, he forgot it. He left it back at the last rest stop, no. I see it. But I see the one who's holding it. I've seen him wield that before. There's the club and there's the staff. There's the, the, the shepherd's crook. And the shepherd's crook was used for all, all kinds of things. They would, um, if, if, a, if a mom... Uh, had given birth to some lambs. Uh, the worst thing that they, the, the, you're not supposed to handle them. As a, a person, not supposed to handle them. And uh, there's a bunch of reasons for that. So that crook, they'd use it to kind of move the lambs around to where they wouldn't smell like the shepherd because that drove mom crazy, apparently. So he's like, no, it's, it's like this, this tender way of moving, moving these lambs around and tending to them without upsetting mom. Sometimes as the sheep are coming down the, the path, uh, uh, apparently shepherds would they would they would get, just get, get in a rhythm of, of of tapping them tapping them on the back or guiding them along like this assurance of like i'm here i'm here here's it's the way that you go here you go here you go here you go so he's got this caregiving instrument and he's got this protective def, like defending instrument so I've, I've i've seen i've seen you take care of me and i've seen you defend me i've seen the the strength and the protective nature of you, I'm also seeing the tenderness. And if there's any two things that I need to get through this valley, it is you as my shepherd in my midst, ready to defend and protect, or ready to take care of me and be tender in the ways that I need. He says that those are so comforting to me that as I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, which is sometimes the path of righteousness, you know, so I'm going to be I'm going to be okay. I've come to realize this that sometimes the path of righteousness takes you through a valley that is really painful and dark and yet my shepherd is always there. 
ready to just be himself to me. He's ready to be everything I need him to be to me. And then verse 5, it shifts. It says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. It's kind of a weird, weird leap. It goes from shepherd and sheep to like a, like a, a, a banquet or a dinner. There's not a real transition there. And, and one day, <clears throat> we'll get to live on the new earth with David, and we'll get to ask him, Dude, what, what was going on from verse 4 to verse 5? Like, did... But if we think of them as really being more related than they seem to be, what if the path of righteousness that sometimes was filled with green pastures and quiet waters and other times was the valley of the shadow of death, what if the entire journey was headed toward that table? You know? Like what if God the whole time was like, I know where I'm leading you. It's going to be amazing. The food will be fantastic. You've never seen a table like this. You've never seen a spread like this. You've never seen a home like this. You've never seen a destination like this one. It's like God was bringing him here the whole time. Hard to remember when you're in that valley of the shadow of death, though. But valleys are not a landing point. Are they? No. Even though I go through the valley, I go through the valley to the table of the Lord. That there is this leadership that that God gives to his people. That maybe they're more connected than we think that they are. And so the beauty of the first three verses, the the different kind of beauty of verse four. It's like he finds himself at the table of the Lord, which is where God was leading him the whole time. Now keep reading the devotional this week to find out where the rest of it. Let me think of this in two contexts, just really quickly. First context is what we are talking about today like there's this two-year point if you don't know the backstory here's a very here's a very quick connection um, in 1968 sherwood baptist church was founded uh, and not too long after that they bought these 12 acres of of land and started off and built a the, where the lunch is today was the first sanctuary building and they added, added on and added on, you know, and, and <clears throat> this was, uh, this was like way, this was way east at that point, you know, this is like the sticks out here. And, um, and Sherwood Baptist, uh, saw a lot of, a lot of great years and like most, like most living or- organisms, like most uh, churches, they uh, had times of abundance and maybe times where maybe things seemed slim and uh, they hung in there together for a long time. And then this really dumb thing happened in August of 2016 when uh, like this like uh, ridiculous amount of water just fell from the sky for like 24 straight hours. You remember that? It was ridiculous and we all hate it. Let's be honest. 
We look back, you know, now there's some distance. We're like, oh man, we, we made some memories cleaning up houses. But every one of us would choose to have not gone through that, right? And so God brought good from it, but we can't look at that flood and say it was good. And that flood happened and this property flooded. This whole area flooded. And after the water went down and after the insurance money came in and the faithful uh, came and gutted this place and put it back together again, they discovered that this whole area had changed so much because of the flood, like everywhere did. So many people permanently relocated. A lot of church members permanently relocated. And kind of got to the point where the future was uncertain. Now, I don't want to put, like, put words in anyone's mouth because I wasn't a part of Sherwood Baptist. But I bet that was kind of a valley of the shadow of death time to begin to realize we're not sure what to do. We're not sure how much longer we can like, keep this going. Um, the whole area was so decimated. We're just, we're just not sure how long we can keep existing. Um, it was a dark, dark time. Now, um, that's the Sherwood Baptist backstory re- really quickly. The Living Hope backstory is that we, were, we planted in 2006 from Parkview Baptist. We had moved around. We were in our third location at the time um, and had really gotten to the point where we began to realize that in, in America and in the South, uh, there's a couple of things that really needed to be in place before we were going to see the kind of growth uh, that we really wanted to have. Um, and one of those things was we, we had been meeting at night, and we felt like meeting in the morning, that's just kind of the, where the cultural expectations are. And so we all know it doesn't matter when the people of God meet. You know, There's no clock in that, in that regard. But in terms of culture, you want to meet people where they are. If you tell them, like, hey, we have a 5 p.m. service in Mid-City, guess who's not coming? Almost everybody, you know? Or they would come once and be like, that was really great. If y'all ever meet in the morning, let me know. So we realized that, uh, that we, we needed to put down some, some roots. We, we didn't want, like, we didn't, weren't, we didn't necessarily need, like, a building because we were coveting a building. But we, we needed something that had some, a sense of permanence to it. Because we kept hearing morning service from people, and we kept being like, what do you mean you don't have your own building? Like, how are you legitimate if you don't have your own building? And again, cultural stuff. So we realized, first world country, first world ministry, there's a, just some things that we, that we probably needed to start pursuing if we really wanted like, to, to reach the community and reach people. Now we were together... There was good depth there, but, but we just felt like God had a mission in front of us that those things were holding us back. And so um, we started to, to pray and started to pursue those things, and we just, there were so many roadblocks. And, and folks started getting discouraged because of the roadblocks. And then you started to hear more people just be like, you know, well, maybe, you know, we're, we, we live out in wherever. Maybe we just need to find a church out in wherever, you know. So that our kids, you know, our kids are going to school with people they also go to church with, those kind of things. And started to hear more of that sentiment. And not, not that people were wanting to quit, but it was a little bit more of like, has this run its course? You know, like, but we love each other so much. But like, yeah, but what about the mission? And, you know, there's just, just a lot of stuff. And, and it may be an overstatement to say that was the valley of the shadow of death for, for living hope. 
But I, I have been in enough meetings where we're pulling our hair out, being like, we have no idea what to do. Um, and been enough of those conversations to know that it was, it was darker than maybe people were letting on. Um, and so both groups were doing, got to the point where they're like, this is really difficult and dark. Um, we don't know what to do, so let's turn to the Lord and let's ask him for a solution. And so as these two groups were walking through their own valley of the shadow of death, all right, in varying degrees, there's the shepherd standing in their midst. And he's like, you just follow me down the path of righteousness through, through this darkness. You just, keep, you just keep going. You keep asking me. And what happened is uh, both groups were, were, this wasn't like a secret pursuit. This was like something where people knew about that. And through God's organization and strategy, um, those two paths through the valley, those two paths got to where they were like kind of paralleling each other. And we're like, like walking more side by side than we realized. And so as Sherwood Baptist and Living Hope were kind of walking through the valley of the shadow of death, it became clear. It's like, what are y'all? What are y'all? What are y'all praying for? What are y'all praying for? And as the dialogue began, we realized, oh, like, oh, you're the you're the answer to our prayers, and we're the answer to your prayers. And God took those separate paths that seemed so far apart and brought them slowly together through the valley of the shadow of death, and said, hey, how about we just make it one path? Like, how about we just get under, under one roof? How about we just push this stuff together and see what happens? And so two years ago, those two paths became one path. And I wouldn't say that we were out of the valley of the shadow of death yet. But I remember that first worship service together. Y'all remember that? I remember it. And I was, I was nervous. Nervous as a cat, as my grandmother would say, but I never really understood that. I was probably more nervous like a sheep in the valley of the shadow of of death, uh, and I remember it's that first Sunday, and everything's buzzing, and the speakers weren't up yet. They're on these big crane, the big like crane things, you know. I was like, one of them things is going to fall. It's going to be, it's going to be bad. Something's going to go wrong. And when we started singing, it's like it just, it's almost like 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 we came around a corner, and the valley was behind us, you know. Just was like, it's going to be fine. Because, guess who was with us? The Lord. He said, I was with you the whole time. Club in one hand, staff in the other hand. Ready. Ready to lead you. Ready to guide you. Ready to shape you. Ready to show you what to do. Ready to defend you. Ready to care for you. Ready for whatever, whatever the valley brings. And could it be that days like today, when we're sitting at literal tables with food in front of us, we're like, oh, he prepares a table for us. Don't think about the presence of your enemies part. Don't worry about that part. He's prepared a table for us, you know. Because that's who he is. He's the same, same one in the green pastures and the quiet waters and the restoring of souls as, as he is in the, in the valley of the shadow of death. But he's always leading his people. 
And if you didn't read the, the devotional yesterday, that idea of preparing a table, there's, there's two, two ways of looking at it in, in that vernacular. Part of that would be like a banquet, like an actual like feast after, after a battle. The other way that phrase is used is in a, is in a war room where they're, they're mapping out and they're coming up with a battle plan and a strategy. That maybe he's preparing a table in both senses. Maybe he's preparing a banquet, but that banquet has been prepared strategically because he's been leading you and I here the whole time. And so what we celebrate today is the faithfulness of our shepherd who saw both groups through some really difficult times. And now we get to sit at literal tables and eat jambalaya and white beans and in this really coolly decorated room and, and recognize, though, like his goodness got us to this point. That's one context. Let me say the other context real quick and we're going to sing. Stories like, like this psalm and the story of the two churches coming together, what we celebrate is supposed to directly be like, like applied in our own lives as well. That as you are walking through the, down the path of righteousness, whether it's a green pasture still waters season or a valley of the shadow of death season, there's a strategy at work in your life. You have to apply that. You have to like, drag that into your life. Look at what God has done with David. Look at what he's done with our churches. And don't make yourself an exception to that. You may not be at the table yet, but there's a table being prepared for you. He was leading us there the whole time. He's leading you there as well. And I wouldn't say that this psalm is, is cyclical, like you get to the table and then you have to like start over necessarily. But it does seem like, like, there are, like all of these things are kind of always constantly happening, you know. That there are parts of life that are maybe green pastures, parts of life. And there are parts of life that are maybe valley of the shadow of death, parts of life. But the fact that there is a strategy in all of it, and it involves God preparing something beautiful for you, um, that should be what coaxes us forward, you know. And so the context really is, it's, a, it's about what are you dealing with? What are you going through? Where these same ideas, you have to be able to look at that and say, this is true for me as well. So you have to put yourself into the psalm and say, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he's preparing a table for me. So I'm going to, I'm going to keep going. Even though I'm in a great season right now, maybe there's a valley ahead of me. Or if you categorize your life into 10 things, maybe there's 10 different places that you would, it's all the same. It's the same good shepherd at work on purpose, leading us strategically into what is best. And so, um, my hope today is that, is, is that you and I would be encouraged in how this applies to our own lives. But that the, the bigger story of what he's done with these churches, we'd be able to look at that and say, oh, he's doing the same thing in my life. 
That we would be able to stand side by side with each other and recognize that this psalm is being made true over and over and over and over again in all of our lives. And it really all comes down to the fact that like His presence changes everything. Yeah. And so if we can recognize His presence in all things, then all of this, like all of a sudden it like, all falls into place and you're like, oh yeah. It's when we forget that He's with us that we panic. So may today be a day that we are not panicking. But we're, we're breathing in the deep goodness of God and His presence in our midst. Now before we get to the jambalaya tables, there's another table uh, that, we, that He has put into place for us. It's the, the communion table. We serve communion every week. It's, it's an optional response. It's, you'll take the bread and you'll dip it into the cup and you'll take it and you don't have to be a member of this church to participate. You have to believe that Jesus is your Savior offering all the grace that you need today. He's offering His body and His blood. That's what you need to keep going. So if taking communion today would be a helpful, tangible step for you to breathe in that faithfulness of God, then we want to give you a chance to do that. We'll have two lines. You can come. But you don't have to. It's fine. It's, it's your choice. We're also going to sing. If you want to pray, these steps will be open. We'll have some of our leaders on the front row would pray with you. If you're just like, man, I really, I need someone to just pray over me. And if you, if you've never engaged in any of this stuff of like a relationship with God before, please don't leave here without talking to us. It could be a front row conversation. It can be an after the service thing. It can be an at lunch thing, whatever. If you got questions, we got answers. Um, so let's stand together. We're gonna just gonna respond through singing and through communion, through prayer, whatever God may be like leading you to. Let me pray for us. We'll sing a little bit and then we'll have a different kind of meal. Lord, thank you for uh, thank you for your goodness to us and your word is so rich. Uh, and the truth is we can spend a lot of time in every passage of scripture and just find so much that's there for us. We know it all just points back to you. It all points back to the same, same faithfulness, the same goodness. And so God, today we, we, there are multiple things we want to acknowledge at once. We want to acknowledge your faithfulness to this united church body that at one point we're walking different paths and that yet you brought us together and you've been so faithful to bless and to keep and it's just it's beautiful and so we celebrate that and we thank you God because we could not have manufactured this and God also for those who are walking through various seasons pray that you remind them today that you're you're with them you're for them that you're in their midst ready to protect and ready to care and ready to give them whatever they may need. And so I pray that as we sing and as we pray and as we receive communion, that those simple gestures would be would reach into the depths of our hearts and our minds as we say thank you and that we love you and as we bring all these things to you. We love you. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right. 
Our communion tables will be, will be open. You can come whenever you're ready.